Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week, we have Lauren. Hey. Yeah. Hi there. And Justin. What exactly is an LED? How did it get one to work? How did we discover them? What was really the history of what? And why did three gentlemen from Japan win the Nobel Prize for developing the blue LED? We talk about all this in the history of lights, illumination, and what LEDs can do for you in this week's episode of LaGrange Point. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. So we've heard about the Nobel Prize for physiology slash medicine, but Justin, I hear you know who the Nobel Prize for physics went to. That's right, and uh, just to keep you updated, as we were recording, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry was recorded, uh, um, reported, but it was first delayed by you know like ten minutes. So it's okay; we weren't too far behind the times. We'll keep you abreast on that news story in about five more minutes if you're tuning in. Um, that is, if you're really worried about news that you probably are already aware of. Time delayed. <laughs> yes, Lauren. Sorry. <laughs> Um, it's an exciting time for science. It's pretty much like the only live commentary event that we can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, blue LEDs is the subject for the Nobel Prize winners for this year in 2014. And the prize itself went to Isamu Akasaki, Hiroshi Amano, and Shuji Nakamura, all from Japan, from various different companies and institutions inside Japan. And you might be asking why we would award a prize for a blue LED. I mean, if you pick up your phone right now, you'll probably see several blue LEDs. And the reality is that they're all actually connected. And what these researchers are getting the prize for um, was while studying at Nagoya University and working at Nichia Chemicals, um, these gentlemen actually managed to solve one of the biggest mysteries in LEDs, and that is how to make blue light. But before we tell you exactly why this was so difficult, and what exactly blue light even is, we really need to start at the very beginning. No, I don't mean fire, but that's a reasonable (laughs) good place to start. Um, I'm going to sort of run through the history of light and lighting up things because, and really think about it, we've only really conquered the night sky with electricity and electric lights for about 200 years and really commercialised it for just over 100. So in about 1802, uh, Humphrey Davy, a brilliant engineer and scientist from the Royal Institution of Great Britain, made some massive electric batteries and he was using them to sort of pass electric current through a thin strip of platinum to make, you know, this this really bright shining light as it was literally melting the metal. Um, But it wasn't really formulated into a globe. He sort of experimented with it over the next couple couple of years and developed different ideas for it. Um, In the 1840s and 1860s, different people experimented with passing uh, high currents through other strips of metals and vacuum tubes. The first patent for some type of light bulb or lamp bulb was in 1841 um, from Frederick de, de Moulins. Um, but, you know, uh, in 1845, John Starr in the United States made one uh, using carbon filaments. And all of these researchers were plugging away in their own separate ways. Um, someone even made one using a carbonized bamboo filament in 1893, um, Heinrich Gobel. That, who, that was, who invented that one, which is a fantastic <laughs> idea and a fantastic name for inventing light bulbs. 
But uh, the major people that we really know and credit with inventing the light bulb, incandescent commercialized light bulb as we know it today, um, is both Joseph Swan uh, and Thomas Edison. So Swan was a British physicist and chemist, and he really used carbonized paper filaments in evacuated glass to make light bulbs like we know it in probably about the 1860s and 70s. And he, he really sort of popularized and made them in a way that could be repeated. Um, and Thomas Edison took all of these ideas in about 1878 and started making practical incandescent lamps, filament lamps that he could sell in, and manufacture in large numbers that would last for a long period of time. So they were rugged, survivable, and could last for around 1,200 hours, um, which is fantastic. I mean, the first successful test of his style of design uh, in 1879 lasted for about 13.5 hours. But he really managed to amp it up wire this little filament coil and produce some fantastic um, lights over a long period of time. After that, different light bulb companies started to be produced. People started lighting up buildings and it started to be fantastic. Oil lamps were replaced with electricity lamps and our world began to change. Um, we had electricity companies and we had light at night for the first time um, without relying on fire and combustion. Well, that's really fascinating. It's a really interesting area of scientific research. And we continued with incandescent lamps, and then we started also experimenting with neon and other gases and heating up those gases to produce light um, instead of just heating up a strip of metal, which is how an incandescent light bulb works. But it wasn't until the 1920s and 30s we started experimenting with this, this little new idea that had to do with silicon wafers and transistors. And this is led to the development in the 60s of what we call now now as the LED, the LED, the light emitting diode. So some fantastic researchers um, actually came up with the concept of a transistor. Uh, and this is the, the, the idea of the term Silicon Valley actually is a lot of these pioneers like Shockley, um, Texas Instruments and the uh, Bell Labs, all of these research labs that you might hear of and that are really famous, they were all the original founders of Silicon Valley. And the reason why it's called Silicon Valley is because it's all about silicon wafers, so really, really thin slithers of silicon, which is uh, the substance found in glass and, and sand. And mm, Wafers. Yes, wafers of it. So not delicious wafers to eat, but rather uh, we do some complicated uh, transfer of electrons through this so they're conductive and by doping with a little bit of metal one side or another the, the wafer you can get electrons to pass one way and not the other way and depending on the doping material that you can use they found that you could actually produce light so transistors are really really useful and they rely on these diode type junctions and they're important for semiconductors and electricity and computers so your computer relies on transistors and diodes to, to function but light-emitting diodes are a specific type of that that when doped with certain types of chemicals can release light. So instead of a lamp where you, char where you pass electric current through a string of metal and it lights up by basically almost melting it, all you're doing is passing electrons, a small number of electrons, through a little bit of a bridge across uh, this silicon wafer. Uh, and when they do that, they actually emit small amounts of light depending on the type of doping material used, they emit a different frequency of light, so a different colour of light that you might recognise. Um, they're also a lot more energy efficient, which is why you'll often find that um, your bike lights, 
if you've probably bought it in, within the last 10 years, uses LEDs rather than the old, um, older version, older incandescent lamps. Yeah, so why exactly are they so uh, energy efficient? It's Sorry. because of the different resistance yeah. in the um, light, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And basically... It uses a different level of energy to overcome that resistance. Yeah, and instead of having to heat up the thing to almost near melting point to make it shine, all you're doing is basically putting over a really small amount of voltage and current to actually get it to light up. Mm, which is why your bike lights will last forever. And run on basically a watch battery. Yeah. Instead of requiring you to lug around a big diesel generator on the back of your bike <laughs> to power it. Uh-huh, those were the days. Oh, yes. <laughs> back when I used to ride a bike. <laughs> um yeah, so the first LED uh, was actually red in color. So most of the original LEDs that we developed were all red, and these were in the 1960s and really popularized in the, in the 70s. And basically, they, they could figure out how to do red. The simple diode coatings that they were using, that was the only thing that the only way they could do it was to make it make red color. And it took them another 10 years 10, to come up with a, a, a doping and a technique that enabled them to make reddish orangey colors yellow by you know, <laughs> 1972 by using a different doping and amping up the power and then by you know 1970s and 80s they'd made green and that was like wow guys you've invented the green lead wait wait so justin what do you mean by doping exactly yeah so do you mean like going out into the back shed and getting really really high no no that is exactly not what we're talking about so the way a um diode works is that it's basically a small slither of, of silica and metal, and they, they type, and to get the electrons to move, you get them to cross a bridge, basically. This is the really rough way of explaining it. But to, to force them to move, to go one way instead of the other way, you imagine it like putting sugar on one side and small children on the other side, and the children will go to the side that's got the sugar on it, so they'll go that way, but they won't go back because there's no sugar there. And this is effectively ah. what we're doing with electrons. We're saying the electrons go, hey, there's gaps here that we can go hang out in, in this the doped one side, and they'll go to that one and leave the other one behind. And, but they and, won't go back. And that's that, why when you connect them up the wrong way, they kind of explode. Well, they don't explode. They just don't exactly work because they... And they, ever they have, again. <laughs> they have no reason to go there. And diodes are really important. And light-emitting diodes are basically the same principle, but the doping that you use actually lights up when the things go into the holes and go check go live there. Um, ah, okay. Yes. Uh, now, it took a lot of work to actually figure out uh, the different uh, wavelength frames and the doping is used. So red, red is... Um, and they also have different efficiencies because they require more power to get there. Now, red is actually really, uh, really, really high-powered, right? So red, especially red-orange, right? So you get about... 72 lumens, so lumen is in the measurement of color, right? So we say the a efficiency lumen. is, yeah. As opposed to a luke, which is a measure of black brightness. Yeah, lux, yeah. That's lux, right. That's it, not a luke. <laughs> um, so what we actually used is uh, we found out that um, red had about 72 lumens per watt, so for each watt of energy you pumped into it, so how much power you gave, you got 72 lumens out. Um, red orange, not just red, was much better. It was about 100, right? And then we found out green was about 93, so still better than red. Um, and they slowly started adjusting it more and more. They got to like cyan, uh, which was about 
um, 75 lumens, and eventually we actually got to blue, uh, which is about 37. And the reason why blue is such an amazing light color is that it requires so little power. What we actually discovered uh, in the 1990s, which is when Akasaki-san, Amano-san, and Nakamura-san actually did all this groundbreaking research into um, blue light. And when they actually figured out a way to produce it, they did almost impossible. It had been 10 years since any, anyone had actually figured out a new way to produce different colors of light. And they, looking at universities and different chemical companies, actually managed to make it happen. They found that a specific gallium concentrate doping actually enabled them to produce the, the blue light. It required a lot of painstaking chemical work and testing to figure out exactly which compounds of gallium would actually produce light that was in the right frequency range to produce blue. So why are they only awarding this, um, them this prize now, Justin? Yeah. So it was this, we've had color LED screens for a little while now, haven't we? Exactly. And as I was mentioning at the beginning, a lot of the time we actually don't award these prizes until it's had time to be verified and proved and shown to be the standard for all the research and verified. And that's why the delay was for these gentlemen was actually about verifying that this was the groundbreaking research and that was the best way and the efficient way to do that. And it was a bit of a delay in recognition, but it's also now at a point which is such an integral part of so many other fields that what they did not just solved a small problem, but actually enabled us to do something really fantastic. So what do we use them for, Justin? Well, imagine that we have different colors of LEDs now, right? And we have green, red, and blue. And with that, we can actually combine them. And by mixing different ratios of green, red, and blue, we can make the full color spectrum. We can make white light. We can make anything out of the combinations of these different colors. So if you get a green LED, a blue LED, and a red LED, and put them all together. Um, a green LED, sorry, a green LED. Lead, a red lead, and a blue lead walk into a bar. Yeah, basically, and they light up your screen, your phone, everything you see around you. So the combinations of colors using LEDs of different types is actually really, really important to help us produce things we take for granted, like super amazing LED TVs or your phone screen if it's not running an LCD one. Um, so, for example, my latest certain brand of Korean phone uses an AMOLED screen and that is a LED based screen and enables it to have really great brightness but it's only possible because we can combine all these different colors and so if it hadn't been for this groundbreaking work by these three gentlemen we wouldn't have been able to do this and it's really quite important now for so many different technologies and applications. So the blue LEDs not only enable us to see the world in a much richer amount of color and make amazingly portable technologies that uh, have some great screens they're also really, really low-powered, and they mean that in order to carry around your phone with you, you don't need a battery the size of a house. So if it wasn't for the fantastic inventions of LEDs and the ways of miniaturizing and micro-forming micro them, we wouldn't have been able to have phones that have screens that we could fit in our pocket that are so bright and easily readable. Oh, okay. And you're not cooking the side of your leg like it <laughs> would be if you had a plasma screen phone. Exactly. So LEDs are so power efficient, they're so um, shrinkable, and they're so bright that they really are one of the perfect te technologies for the modern world. And these three gentlemen really helped found this era, and they completed 
the circle of the research and really helped society out in more ways than we can imagine. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We talked about the history of the invention of LEDs, what they can do for society, and why the discovery of the blue LED enabled us to have amazingly low-powered coloured screens, which we take for granted in everyday life and technology. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.